Everybody's talking at me. I can't hear a word they're saying. Just driving around in John Voight's car. Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 21. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. And I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And tonight is the scariest night of the year. But by the time you're hearing this, you're so far away from the scariest night of the year that it is the friendliest, nicest time of the year, really. Mm-hmm. All Saints Day. <laughs> yeah, you've already shit your pants three times over from how horrifying Halloween was. And yeah. now, ready to calm down. Now you have another 364 days till you have to see some fucking kid in a Frankenstein costume. He's yeah, never man. even seen the James Whale movie. <laughs> It's pretty, a- yeah, if you think about it, Halloween's pretty ahistorical, and that's probably my biggest umbrage I have with it. <laughs> my my biggest problem with Halloween is all the posers. Uh, all, mm-hmm. all these classic movie monsters on display. <laughs> and do you think these eight-year-old kids are sitting through Todd Browning's Dracula? No. Or The Bride of Frankenstein? They know nothing of Universal, you know? They'd rather probably look at an app or something like that (laughs) do you think there'll be any like young little jokers like since this is a hard r totally um that like i mean they definitely they had to have sold little kid joker costumes Mm -hmm. yeah for sure i mean like that's got to be the number one costume Mm -hmm. in america right now (laughs) so many kids saw joker like it's not even it's not even funny i bet and i think they were truly radicalized politically yeah as we documented on this show Mm -hmm. uh very uh, it's a it's a film that starts a political movement. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you could look. Uh, aren't didn't aren't people wearing Joker makeup in like Chile or something like that? So I guess, I guess we're wrong. Signs. Well, there are some <laughs> Joker signs in the Chile protest. And shout yeah. out to the Chile protest. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, but like, uh, there's also a lot of good Simpsons ones. Did you guys see there's, that? No, I didn't. There's see like that. some good like Simpsons protest signs in Chile right now. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Uh, that, that's pretty sick. Yeah, the American people literally would never do anything that courageous, no. and like we really got a salute because uh, Chile's been fucked up by us, by the U.S. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, but this isn't that kind of show. This spooky yeah. Halloween up is going. <laughs> yes. up there. It's, it's you know, it's really our brothers in Chile. <laughs> Um, you know, it's maybe we won't rise up because we're so fattened by the entertainment such as Joker and The Simpsons. You That's know I mean? true. <laughs> we're, just, we're just feasting on that. We're getting into the, you know, what it means and stuff like that. We're too busy snacking on Halloween candy <laughs> like movies. <laughs> yeah. Too busy know, to notice political uprisings. A, a good treat to me is always a nice flick, you know. <laughs> Hey, JT, what's your favorite Halloween candy? Because oh. mine is movies. Oh, damn. Uh, I like I like a peanut butter treat, like a Reese's peanut butter cup. That I'm, I like. I love the classics. You ever get yeah. one of those uh, like eyeballs that you unwrap it and it's like a chocolate peanut butter thing? Yeah, I yeah. fuck with that. Yeah, me too. That's pretty good. I, I love peanut butter stuff as well. I will advocate for that. Just uh, I like I like almond joy a lot. That's a big favorite of mine. Get that shit out of here. Um, <laughs> all right <laughs> i like gummy candies gummy candies are the shit like um <laughs> my favorite halloween snacks probably an oreo Dude, I, literally, <laughs> I killed my remaining oreos right before you guys got here so you wouldn't take any like Hell it's yeah. they're pretty good hey, it's know? all good i got some oreos back at my place so Yo, it's it's fun you ever dip that shit in peanut butter Damn. i think once before yeah yeah, yeah 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 little <laughs> extended clip recipe book <laughs> Uh, well, we're talking about food because today 
We're talking about John Favreau's chef. <laughs> uh, no, in your fucking nightmares, because uh, that would be the most miserable podcast episode ever. Yeah, if there's some sort of like punishment episode where I have to punish Eddie, like I'm definitely picking chef. <laughs> definitely just a john favreau double bill yeah you know? yeah that's the way to do it uh his episode of the sopranos but only the scenes that he's in that <laughs> i don't remember suck. that don't. you don't remember oh yeah he was like trying christopher that was like christopher's hollywood connection early on <laughs> and uh yeah there was there was some messed up stuff in that yeah. episode they should remake uh they should remake sopranos first off oh, and, yeah. and and the hollywood connection <laughs> in the movie is nick valanga <laughs> <laughs> oh man so today we are here to talk about a couple of films per usual, and uh, you know, for all those who were mad at us for not talking about horror films, well, guess what? We're not talking about horror films tonight either, so... Stay mad. First we have Teorima by Piero Paolo Pasolini, and then we have The Bratz Movie, 2007, by Sean McNamara. Mm-hmm. Now, Malcolm uh, programmed this here double feature for mm-hmm. us, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your selection here? Well, I'm going to be honest. I really wanted to choose the Bratz movie and kind of reverse engineered my highbrow pick from that. So, you know, this little inside inside baseball, a little inside into the pri- process of extended clip. So I was like, I was like, look, John Voight is in the Bratz movie. So I was, you know, thinking, well, you know, there's got to be some highbrow movies with John Voight in it, you know. And I was like, Midnight Cowboy, eh, I don't really want to watch it. Like, Ali, that's probably good, just not in the mood. Um, Heat heat which is you know yeah what can i say about heat and, i mean uh, come on yeah it's uh hey that's a that's a five bulleter for sure oh my god <laughs> oh, there yeah. ever was one <laughs> so i was just you know thinking of movies that kind of pair up you know what's the brats about you know and i'm like it's about you know not conforming to you know what they want you to be not conforming to a certain character archetype yeah it's about class warfare class it's warfare. also about that yeah i was Does, gonna say that connection became very apparent when yeah, i was yeah. watching these movies it's a little bit about class warfare too you know and then uh you know i'm like who's who's a, who's a nice marxist director i could uh, uh oh is it still recording yeah. we're, we're back into it once jt plugs back in we're live go on it's okay <laughs> continue and we're live um kind of lost my train of thought but yeah uh, no i guess the yeah. episode's just fucking yeah, over. yeah 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 let's let's uh, <laughs> all right from the top boys let's get it <laughs> welcome um, to extended clip episode <laughs> 21 um blackjack yeah there's a little bit of class warfare in brats you know which we'll get into and teorima is about like the you know deconstruction of a bourgeoisie you know upper middle class or probably they're probably rich you know family you know all by a dashing young gentleman who sexually awakens every single member of the household and uh, causes great upheaval. So I was like, it seems like a fun time. Seems like a good pairing. And I think I was right. I think you were too. I, I yeah. took in this double feature, started it at about nine o'clock in the morning with mm-hmm. the Bratz movie, just woke up and put that shit <laughs> right into my eyeballs. And it was a bit abrasive. You know, maybe I yeah. should have <laughs> maybe I should have <laughs> had a little coffee. Maybe I should have, you know, it's... Yeah. I'm fighting off some sickness right now. Uh, I, I'm coming around, and that film did not feel like medicine the way that the, uh, the rom-coms <laughs> I've been watching this week did. But you know what? It got me in the mood, and I was like, you know, I, I got to get back on my feet. I got to pick myself up by my bootstraps. <laughs> and watch the Bratz movie. Yeah. yeah. Watch the fucking John Voight cinema. <laughs> yeah. So, 
let's get right into our first fucking movie, uh, the Pasolini. Now, this is the first movie I'd ever seen by Pasolini. Mm-hmm. Uh, had you seen much by him before? Yeah, I've seen a good amount. He was definitely, uh, when I was first getting into movies, he was definitely like a figurehead I looked up to. And I definitely like kind of read about him, even with uh, maybe not seeing, you know, all of his movies. I feel like I've only seen about four, but um, I'm a huge fan of all of them. Solo, Arabian Nights are films I rank very highly. And um, this is one I remember uh, watching um, back in my earlier days and it didn't really connect to me maybe as much as like Solo, which, you know, what's good about Solo might be a little more obvious than what's good about this movie. So I kind of wanted to revisit it, and I think it was it was really rewarding. Yeah, I mean, this was this was again my first dance with Pasolini, and it was very rewarding. I gotta say, did not really get what was going on for the first forty five minutes or so, mm-hmm. uh, and then once the Terrence Stamp character leaves, and you kind of realize like, oh, his dick was like the structuring absence of the film, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> And it's really wonderful. Pasolini is like working through some really big ideas about about class. And it's, you know, it's 68. That's the talk of the town is a workers' <laughs> revolution. Everybody's crazy about this shit. <laughs> you seen these guys in Paris? They're going, these students, they're going crazy. No one's able to reel them in. So, yeah, it's all like very relevant at the time. But he's also not just like throwing that in there. He's mm. very precise with how he goes about it in this film that's not very precise in its narrative you know it seems very clear by the end of it what Pasolini is trying to get at and uh yeah I really admired it it's something that like most fucking you know classic European art films it tests your patience a little bit and if it's a good one it's rewarding Mm -hmm. and this one was extremely rewarding yeah I had only uh I mean, if to continue with dancing with Pasolini, I've only danced with him once before with the Decameron, and I really love that uh, film. Uh, and I want to like give him a, a deeper dive, uh, but this like really fucking got me. Like I was on board like right from the beginning, especially the um, like the documentary style cold open that uh, is eventually like it takes place uh, like later in the narrative where he. Uh, the father gives up the the factory uh, to the workers and it's talking about is everyone going to be in the bourgeoisie uh, now and like what that would look like and uh, that was just like it it really sets the tone for like understanding like how important like class is into the film and I just like uh, dick so good it causes the revolution (laughs) and uh, it's like the connective tissue uh, between uh, syndromes in a century is like just straight up some some good cock shots yeah for sure uh, in this and it's like I don't know Terrence Stamp is like a um, sort of a a figurehead sort of spurring forth this revolution he kind of reminded me of Bernie Sanders just coming in (laughs) swinging his fat cock and just radicalizing everyone yeah you know it's kind of you know to riff off of that a little bit you know it's like you know it's the message is like except you know your parents are kind of getting into it too they're like you know this Bernie guy you know it's (laughs) really is something you know it's not just for the kids you know he's really really a viable candidate yeah, and it also made me feel like. Sorry, I hate to cut you off. <laughs> I'm more of a realistic. Sense of and, uh, these guys like Pasolini, they're promising everything like free sex scenes, free handheld camera work, and, uh, unresolved who's narratives. Who's gonna, who's gonna resolve the narratives? Who's gonna censor the sex scenes? 
But no, I could also relate to it on a personal level because it's like every time I've met like past girlfriends, parents is just you fuck the whole family. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. Especially uh, the brother. Yeah. yeah. That's your first opponent. <laughs> fellas, <laughs> fellas, you know. <laughs> fellas, <laughs> fellas. You will know the scene when it comes. Yeah. That feeling that it's a, uh, it, you know, I haven't seen this movie, but it seems like that's basically what the lighthouse is. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that one scene where the first time Terrence Stamps just like, undressing in front of the brother when they're going to be roomies yeah and uh he just gets down to his underwear and the son who lives there so let's just set straight yeah Uh, the guy who owns the factory he lives with his family in a big house and he's got a daughter played by ann wisemski and he's got a son played by an actor that i'm not familiar with Mm -hmm. and he's also got a wife and uh terrence stamp's character is traveling through and he stays with them Mm -hmm. uh he's just so incredibly hot that there's no questions asked it's like oh yeah stay with us yeah. please uh so he's roomies with the son and yeah he's just getting ready for bed and then the son is just like watching him undress and it's like all right i'm looking mm-hmm. too you know uh <laughs> but then they're like both in their underwear ready to go to sleep and then uh terrence stamp just like goes you know raw uh, and uh the guy That's just a like classic sleepover move oh yeah, yeah just like <laughs> just drop the draws and just let your friend look and just like see if he's down mm-hmm. and uh so it's just like this like really slow dance of like glances between them over mm-hmm. this like four minute scene yeah and then the lights you're you know out and you can just see his eyes uh the sun it's such mm-hmm. an insane shot uh this like so dark uh environment and the film grain is just like encapsulating all this darkness it's all kind of fuzzy and you can see the whites of his eyes still kind of Mm -hmm. uh and kind of the outside from the window and you see him just stand up and like sit on terrence stamp's bed and like kind of like touch his shoulder a little and then uh fellas you know that feeling when your homie wakes up (laughs) 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 and you have to jump across the room going scoozy 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 You know what's also great about that scene is like the needle drop that happens immediately while they're getting like undressed oh, into yeah. their underwear or whatever. You're like, all right, you know something's about to about to go down here. But it's like it's it happens like so far before that beat comes, which yeah. is like And that great. becomes a musical motif too. Mm-hmm. And we should point out Ennio Morricone with the God tier score oh here. Uh Morricone or a Morricone? Whichever one you feel yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. I've heard it both ways. Uh, but anyway, he, he comes through with the great score and like this kind of of the time, uh, sixties freewheeling, like kind of sexy rock song that they play a few times throughout this. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. he's chunking along on the guitar and it's just like a groove and it's very basic, but it's 1968 and that type of music is still like newly being explored. Yeah. Uh, and then the rest of the score by Morricone is his classic, you know, crazy kind of gothic western type yeah. shit uh and it's so good the whole time yeah, yeah. so sonically like thick and like dense like, oh definitely <laughs> and it, it's it's such a huge presence throughout the movie like yeah. it's that's really kind of like i i feel like kind of it's kind of like your guide throughout the movie a lot of the times because like like you said this could be kind of vague sometimes and like i don't know for someone who's kind of like skeptical of like a vague art house movie I, well i don't know why you're listening it's like there's like almost moments where i feel like almost like slightly skeptical i'm like oh is this just like like some euro slow shit but then it totally you know wraps around and is entirely rewarding no it did that yeah. to me too yeah. yeah well i think with like how stripped of the details it is i think it really gets at the boring like complacency of like middle class yeah. and like uh bourgeois lifestyle there it's just like they're all so like 
uh, plain and like empty and that's just reflected with like how they just like how like simple the narrative is and it works on a really effective level and I like I want to bring that to like Pasolini's like connection with like other art um, because he's like this fellow's a real artist's artist and he like loves that shit and just ties it in like um, in the son's bedroom there it's just filled with um like some more like classical art pieces but then there's like a Lichtenstein and then like a Snoopy like uh like comic behind like the light mm-hmm. it's just so cool and Terrence Stamp is always reading some uh, dope ass lit <laughs> I think the dopest lit of all is the uh Char- Charlie Chaplin book in the background of his uh, introduction shot which you only see for like 2 seconds and it's kind of funny because it's a movie where people are like reading all the time and they're reading books where it's like, oh, yeah, this is a smart guy book kind of. Yeah. Uh, but there's also, you know, Pasolini knows what he's doing. He likes to he likes to get some yucks out of Chaplin, I'm sure, mm-hmm. like any of us. Yeah. Uh, and I think that is like throughout this whole film, there is that kind of brash sensibility, even when he's at his most obscure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's also what really moves it along. And I think the Morricone yeah. uh, score like helps enunciate that. Mm-hmm. But all of the sex is so like it's shot so immediate, kind of mm-hmm. like uh, I mean, there's not like sex scenes, sex scenes like yeah. you were like you're used to in some real Euro sleeves. But the moment before, yeah, you see a lot of lead up to sex, and the way he does it, like it's not fully like suspense filmmaking sometimes it's more like action filmmaking where <laughs> every beat is just like momentum from the last beat and it carries out to this thing where it's like oh yeah people are gonna have sex now and let's cut away to you know one of these uh cutaway shots to these like dunes that you see mm-hmm. throughout this film and by the end of the film it makes sense why you get these but yeah uh, a lot of these like really intense scenes are punctuated by a shot of just clouds passing over these like mountains kind of i can't mm-hmm. even describe that terrain is it mountains or is it almost seems like piles of gravel or something. i know yeah but it's it looks <laughs> it's not, because yeah. the way that the fog or the clouds are passing through it yeah. is it's very surreal so the terrence stamp character he mingles with everyone and he has like his intimate scene with each member of the family mm-hmm. um and he takes a drive with the dad you know and that's just beautiful oh. to look at just driving through the fog mm-hmm. is just i don't know pasolini's yeah. like the style in which he shoots this is it's hard to pin down because he does some quick cutting here and there when he needs to but it is fairly long takes mm-hmm. uh, and it's a good mix of like handheld and uh kind of locked down cameras that are moving you know whether mm-hmm. panning or on a dolly and then just like some still takes that are just incredible and don't feel still mm-hmm. because of the way the actors are moving or anything mm-hmm. like that you know, he's, he's really good at getting away with doing crazy shit formally and not letting you realize it sometimes mm-hmm. because you're so just immersed in the feeling that he's creating yeah and something i've i've heard about how Pasolini crafts his films is that he shoots them in order with no coverage whatsoever he's very anti-coverage and like this is something that's kind of obvious like once you once you've heard it before mm-hmm. but I, I, I feel like it definitely adds us like a sense like a, a, a good quality to his films and like, oh yeah it's it's a big authorial stamp for mm-hmm. a lot of especially like this era when these art mm-hmm. house auteurs were breaking out mm-hmm. in europe especially yeah uh and it's just like oh yeah fuck everything of the normal mm-hmm. model of production that we know let's just go crazy yeah. uh and he definitely was yeah uh not shooting coverage this is someone who every frame in here is so exacting and in that way it kind of reminded me of antonioni 
totally. uh, because like totally. Antonioni will do this thing in and La Ventura is uh, one of two that I've seen mm-hmm. from him, but where it just feels so dreamy and like loose, but at the same time, so exacting, you mm-hmm. know, like he knows exactly when he's going to cut uh, every, like the borders of the frame are exactly where he wants them to be. You just feel mm-hmm. it, even though it feels so loose and like you're in this weird dream state with him. Mm-hmm. And another thing um, about it that I feel like feels like very precise and specific is like, well, I want to bring up the tagline first that's on Letterboxd. It's, there are only 923 words spoken in Teorema, but it says everything. And it does. I feel mm-hmm. like the moments of dialogue are particularly meaningful. Mm-hmm. Again, to go back to sort of the relationship uh, to art that happens there mm-hmm. um, after Stamp leaves and sort of the impact it has on the son is he's like just making a uh, gay art about Stamp yeah. and mm-hmm. like he's talking about like being an artist and it's just like yeah you're just like an impotent madman like just trying to make it seem like all of your actions are like precise and exacting and that's exactly I mean that's how I feel podcasting we're just <laughs> creating the illusion that it's all purposeful I, I really love the way Pasolini handles that character's arc mm-hmm. uh, because so every character is as we said uh, the structuring absence of their arc for the second half is Terrence Stamp's dick and so in the second half his character gets way more into his art and his painting and doing these weird like pain paintings, uh, pain with P A N E, uh, like as Eminem once said, I guess that's why they call it window pain. (laughs) 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 Uh, and trust me, he's having those feelings in these scenes. Um, but it's a really great kind of critique of like, it reminds you that this is more than anything, a critique of, uh, bourgeoisie and like upper class society yeah. because it's like it's just a fucking reality check when it cuts to him getting his own loft in in Milan to do his paintings and jack off like he <laughs> it's just he has rich parents that can just pay for him to get a pad to do paintings at and you're just like oh yeah I forgot this it's just like this is a critique but it's so dense with like character not even character details because you don't know anything about them necessarily mm-hmm. yeah. you just know about the way that they go about life and their mm-hmm. like their facial expressions mm-hmm. pretty much and it's so felt by Pasolini that you kind of forget that it's this distanced critique until mm-hmm. he makes it more obvious with that yeah but mm-hmm. it like again going to that it's just like Terrence Stamp sort of being this like radicalizing force and how it impacts each of them it's yeah. like the the boy feels like it's like oh yeah some fucking yuppie who like vaguely dabbles into some marxist shit and it's like oh man i like fucking get it now yeah and i think i mean obviously like what he's getting at with like the maid being the one who like fucking levitates and like Mm -hmm. sort of becomes this big force that like really uh, like the like the real proletarian one is the only one who i feel like truly like gets it then Mm -hmm. at the end yeah so we should say when terrence stamp leaves uh the new character that takes his place does not go to the same location. She is introduced. Uh, her name is Amelia and she rolls up and everyone wants to like, everyone wants her to come inside. She's in this more, uh, you know, working class. Like it seems like a, not like an apart, like a living space. I don't know. It's like in yeah. the countryside and there's like a bit, it looks like a big house. And then mm-hmm. you see like 20 people go up to the window and you're like, Oh, are these 
separate apartments or just like a group home. It's it's yeah. kind of unclear, but it's really beautiful to look at. Yeah. Uh, the scenery is like fantastic, and the buildings, although you know decrepit to make a point, it's still I don't know that attention to detail is so beautiful. But anyway, everyone is just like responding to everything she wants, you know, mm-hmm. and it's because it's shown that she has like this supernatural you know religious really ability uh and she cures this young boy of whatever illness has made his face break out in mm-hmm. you know hives kind of and so you're cutting back and forth for the second half of the film between this house of these people longing for terrence stamp mm-hmm. and just like the idle rich just that classic you know antignoni type ennui mm-hmm. and then you get these you know working class people just begging for like miracles basically. And it's this contradiction where it's like clear that Pasolini is like, he's thinking in extremes in the sense that he's definitely a radical filmmaker, Mm -hmm. but he knows that you can't deal in like absolutes and that everything here is like muddled and messy kind of, Mm -hmm. um, as George Lucas once wrote, only a Sith deals in absolutes. (laughs) (laughs) What did you guys think about, her plot line like that happens the the uh, the b plot as it were in the second half of the film it speaks to like his uh this is like the other side of Pasolini that you might not see too much in this film is like his you know catholic filmmaker side of him you know and it, it's kind of like a that whole thing is definitely akin to like a, a very catholic tale you know what i mean so i enjoy that aspect of it yeah, and I feel like Stamp is kind of like he's definitely like a divine force coming oh, for in, sure. Sure. like because of just how he how f- intensely fixated they get onto it. And I like that sort of. I mean, again, it's like very heavy shit, but I like how that relates um, to sort of uh, spurring some sort of class consciousness or revolution. Mm-hmm. Actually, religion has no place on the left. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. It's not a perspective you see a lot. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, religious uh, take on leftist values. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you literally see towards the end when uh, she's walking with, you know, the old woman and she's going to bury herself, yeah. it turns out. And the last thing that they see before they go down into a dish is like a hammer and sickle spray painted on a bridge. Yeah. And they just kind of stand there and stare for a little and the, the frame is split perfectly in thirds with one person on one third, another in the middle, and then the third third is just the hammer and sickle. Yeah. Like very much letting you know like, you know, these are the two things on his mind. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, there's a there's a history of, you know, Catholic, Catholics, Catholics and Marxism. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, you know, a lot of Catholic Marxists out there, and you know, Pasolini's definitely the cream of the crop in terms of <laughs> representation of a Catholic Marxist. So back to the family plot, as it were. Mm-hmm. Everyone's kind of devastated. Mm-hmm. The mom tries to reignite that feeling again. She picks up some hitchhikers mm-hmm. and fucks them, and like, mm-hmm. er, she fucks one of them while the other one waits in the car. She goes back to back. She picks up. Uh, oh yeah, she picks up two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, "Let's let's get it again. Yeah, let's go again." it's the least sexual 20 mm-hmm. minutes of a woman having sex twice you'll yeah. ever see in film. Yeah. It's definitely pretty, it's pretty brutal and it's definitely kind of a, it's just depressing. It's part of Pasolini's, you know, commentary there. Yeah, for sure. Know? It actually kind of reminded me of Godard. It reminded me of yeah. like a Viva Savie or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, where I think this is even more sensitive to that though, because True. we all know Godard was not nice to women. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> murder on the beat because oh, I'm not nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love the phrase not nice. <laughs> well, I think like I like the, I mean, all of their uh, changes. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the sisters is probably the weakest because she mm-hmm. just goes catatonic. But like, I like how the mom uh, the little monologue that she has to stamp uh, there, I feel mm-hmm. like is very representative of like sort of the, I mean, to in contemporary terms, sort of the white feminism sort of bullshit yeah. where she like is talking about she has n- never had any interest uh, in her life and she's totally devoid of everything and it's just filled with wretched values. And I just think that like, and just then her going to just propel forth to some uh, some dicking downs that weren't nearly as revelatory as stamps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one is really bleak. Uh, for Anne Wyszemski, that almost felt like a nod to her performance for Robert Brisson, uh, her arc, because yeah. it's like she literally, it's the most Brissonian acting you'll see in this film mm-hmm. is after Stamp leaves, her first scene is just her looking at the photo she took of him yeah. and like rubbing her finger up and down his legs and then just collapsing on her bed and crying and Mm -hmm. she does not get up and she's just in the bed frozen until they take her away. Mm -hmm. And, um, really great, honestly, still acting by NYZMC. Like she really, I don't know, I guess Brisson broke her in that sense, uh, where you can just be like a robot pretty much. And she's very good at that. Pasolini was a big Brisson fan. You know, he, uh, he championed, he was actually a big champion of the devil probably. Oh, Uh, really? Well, uh, that's podcast podcast favorite. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, Pasolini definitely had probably seen some Brisson films oh, at I'm, that time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, the thing is, that's <laughs> literally, she's, like, yeah. hot off that, though. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Ohazar Balthazar was, like, 66, yeah. I think. So this is two years later. It makes sense. It's right after, yeah. So everyone's uh, arc gets wrapped up except the dad and then you're like oh yeah I forgot about those scenes earlier yeah. where you see the and also after the cold open of the dad giving away the factory you also get these sepia tone shots of the factory and then you go to the house mm-hmm. and so we return to those shots of the factory but they're not in like sepia tone now and the dad goes to like it looks like a train station mm-hmm. at the factory like it's this weird yeah i don't know <laughs> it's this weird mix so he goes to the factory and he slowly just starts stripping his clothes and then you're reminded that he said he would strip himself of everything and give his factory to the workers mm-hmm. and i didn't then, know i didn't know he meant it literally yeah <laughs> then uh hard cut to him in the freaking mountains naked uh have you seen this guy's dick yeah, what is this shit <laughs> it's crazy these, these freaking italians yeah i was gonna say these europeans they sure love uh, a nude body god <laughs> tell me about it so yeah and it ends on those shots it, he just like yells right into camera pretty much while running around mm-hmm. naked and it's you know honestly that point of catharsis was kind of missed on me because yeah. the point was already made yeah. uh, it's not a negative mark on the film I wouldn't True. Say, but it didn't push it to that transcendent level that yeah. i think pasolini was going for True. i still like it though oh i think yeah. it's a good ending i, yeah. I could have cut like 30 seconds early honestly yeah, like yeah. without the scream even mm-hmm. I, I could cut when he's you know tiny in the frame and you can't see his dick mm-hmm. yet i think i think <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> not to yeah. edit Pasolini's yeah. films for him. <laughs> I don't, you know, the stream's just a good capper. It's very, it's very him. Like it's very, it's very something he'd be interested in yeah. doing. So it's like, I like, I like him indulging in that, you know. Maybe I'm wrong. It's a good scream. Fine. 
<laughs> you don't have to. You don't it's have a to like it. Film. <laughs> it's a you perfect you don't, film. Eddie, you don't have to change your opinion. It's uh, just, it no, just... my opinion is that it's not perfect, but it's really great. Like yeah. this is just. I'm looking forward to watching Mar Pasolini. Um, the mix of you know, really slow and hard to put together narrative and just like immersion, and like really detailed and precise critique. Uh, is something that I haven't seen much of, uh, especially from that era of art filmmakers who, frankly, a lot of them were kind of windbags, uh, mm-hmm. even if they made good movies. You know, four bullets for this one. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, uh, Pas- Pasolini is always incisive, and it's, that's kind of like inspired my sensibility of what I look for. I love incisive shit. So, yeah, four bullets. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give this one uh, four and a half bullets. Oh, damn. Well, we're not in the gun club this week, but uh, <laughs> maybe we'll come to a consensus on something else. No, uh, no sixth sense. We here. haven't done that in a minute. We I haven't been like, in the sixth no. sense in yeah. a lot. That's why I forgot what it was called. That's why I called it the gun club. Gun club. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been out of studio for That's like true. a little bit. Now yeah. that we're like, uh, we can. Now that I'm in the room, we can all sync up again. True. We'll have something to agree on at some point. Yeah, in the yeah, show yeah, yeah. To yeah. do the sixth sense mm-hmm. <laughs> proper. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back on extended. Play. Welcome back to Extended Clip. Before we get into our uh, second film of the week, you guys watch anything else that you want to talk about this week? Yeah, I love watching movies, so I watched another one. It's uh, A Better Tomorrow 2, directed by John Woo. And, Hell yeah. Uh, you know, fans of... yeah, I know we say fuck lore, but I do respect our own lore. And, uh, you know, that was the first uh, group watch we all watched together was A Better Tomorrow 1. So I wanted to relive that, you know, suck on the sweet nectar of that memory like it was a, a dry fruit and I'm getting the last of the juices out of it. And uh, <laughs> I love our own lore. That's like fuck lore in general, yeah. but like the, the mythos of this podcast, I'm oh. all for it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I The show Bible document is like 35 pages right now and it's <laughs> glorious. Yeah. watch. Uh, be on the watch out for extended clip, the show. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, A Better Tomorrow 2 is pretty great. I mean, I'd, I like it just as much as the first one. It's basically a reinterpreting of the first one. It's a very similar uh, storyline, to be honest, to the point where, you know, no, you know, spoilers, but Chow Yun-Fat dies at the first one, and, you know, lo and behold, he has a twin brother who still <laughs> exists, and they, who's just as hard-boiled as this Chow Yun-Fat character was. And so they go contact this twin brother, and yeah, Chow Yun Fat's in the movie again. So it's it, you know it, it does. The, it, I do respect that. I respect a sequel that just gives the people what they want. You know, nothing, no frills about it. And uh, it has a great like ending, twenty minute scene where they shoot up a mansion. And I mean, Wu fans, you know, it's it's a go. You know, this one's good. Now, I I was not there on set, but from what I've heard, <laughs> uh, this is not more of a Choi Hark film, True, but yeah. uh, apparently, you know, John Woo didn't have full control over this the way he did on the first one. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you're giving up a little bit of John Woo for some Choi Hark, I'm I'm okay with that. I like both filmmakers a lot. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I I if Eddie didn't tell me this, you know, minutes before recording this segment, I wouldn't <laughs> have known that John Woo got booted off set by Mr. Hark. So And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's a better tomorrow three. 
And Maybe, I'm like yeah. completely because I know Troy Hark is the only director credited on the third installment. Yeah, yeah, and I haven't seen enough Hark to you know placate the difference. In extended clip fans out there, if you haven't seen his film uh, Dangerous Encounter First Kind, truly one of the great Hong Kong films. Like, if you haven't watched any Hong Kong film, watch that one. Put it on. I think it's on YouTube. Check Content it out. warning: several animals killed on screen. Hey, but we that's something we endorse here. <laughs> <laughs> Killing animals. Killing on animals. Screen. I love Cannibal Holocaust, where you get to see alligator skinned. Um Gummo's one of my favorite movies, a lot of cat killings in that. Satan's so. Tango, a yeah. uh, cat gets pretty beat up. Yeah, and that is like literally the worst hour of that movie mm-hmm. by fu- that hour of Satan <laughs> Tango, I wanted to fucking die. Oh Just- damn. I was talking to show a fan of the show, friend of the show, uh Ryan Swen. Yeah. He, we we sat together. Uh, and he was—he really enjoyed that. So, I, I and I, so did so I. Much, we're, yeah. we're we're sick freaks. Yeah, I know. I oh my god, I just don't have it in me for that. Like, yeah. it reminded me of the uh, the late Tarkovsky movies that get a little torturous for me. Mm-hmm. Which, I, and I'm a big Tarkovsky fan, but you know, mm-hmm. one of the monologues in uh, Nostalgia does that to me, and then most of the sacrifice is like that for me, where it's mm-hmm. like. You really just got to cut away. I know that that's the point, but yeah. just do it already. I just love beating up on yeah. that pussy. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, like, come to think of it, some animal abuse is, like, really sick in movies. Like, <laughs> like, like, like in The Devil's Probably, when they're oh looking at God. the environmental footage, and you just get a nice bonk to the baby seal. It's like it's like a fucking espresso shot to the brain. Right? Uh, <laughs> it's ingrained in my mind and that's why i can't even oh my god yeah it's one of my favorite movies of all time and it has disgusting footage but like that's you know it's all part of the movie baby. yeah <laughs> so yeah we like that type of stuff here <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was overseen by the animal humane society and, yeah, no animals were harmed in terms of things, I've I, let's get to talking about me. Sorry for doing that uh, for <laughs> that body language at you. I just like no, pointed okay. to JT with my eyeballs. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I the I saw a lovely little flick uh, called Jojo Rabbit. No, it's not. It's it's not that film. Uh, that's that's a joke. I haven't fucked that movie. Yeah. But this is something that I feel like is a much better like version of what I assume. Jojo Rabbit is trying to do. It's Seven Beauties, 1975, by Lena Wertmuller. Um, the Arrow had a Wertmuller like retrospective recently, and like Wertmuller was there for this, which like I don't know about how you fellas feel about this sometimes, but like I think it's a little cruel, like bringing some of the older like guests because Wertmuller is like fucking 91, and like her like daughter was on her arm and like her biographer like literally just fucking propping her up and taking her to the stage and then she all like i mean she was like mentally like very much so there but all she did was like say like like thank you like i hope you like the movie still like i hope it's good whatever and it's just like do do we really need to to drag this poor 91 year old woman out of bed and then like when she first comes in she gets like this huge standing ovation which is lovely and great Mm -hmm. but then these fucking yahoos like circle her with iphones and are just snapping (laughs) it's just like like oh great so you can fucking tweet a picture of lena (laughs) work yeah they stand yeah Uh, like it's like the charlie xcx guy who like got her to sign a douche uh those guys showed up i tried to get lena Muller to sign my poppers, but yeah. <laughs> she she refused to sign my pocket pussy. I'm so pissed. One, I I had a similar experience when I saw Sweet Sweetback's badass song, 
and Melvin Van Peoples was like barely coherent. Like he, he could not answer a question. Like in Mario, it was cool hearing Mario Van Peoples talk because he's got a he's done a lot of shit too. Yeah, but like um, he did the film about that film. Yeah, exactly. But he basically was the filter. Like he would just answer a question. Like they would ask him a question, and like it just got to the point where just Mario would answer. So yeah, great movie though. Yeah. Uh, does that start with like him fucking as a kid yes. and then it dissolves to him fucking as an adult yes. pretty much? That is such a, that's like as good of a character <laughs> intro as you could ever get. That movie is like in, insane. I love that movie. It's, it's yeah. so like, so experimental. Yeah. Okay. I'll, uh, seven, seven Beauties. Um, yeah. The Lena Wert Mueller film. I like had seen one other flick by hers, Love and Anarchy, and I didn't really like it. And then after uh, this, I, I like I still want to explore more of her filmography, but I watched uh, Summer. Uh, let me see here. I think it's uh, Summer Night, which that one I wasn't crazy about. But like even the films of hers that like Love and Anarchy and Summer Night, I didn't like. She still has this very manic political energy that's like scatterbrained and just like all over the place. Um, but. The the actor she works with a lot, uh, Giancarlo Gianni, um, was in this as this like very cowardly Italian named Pasquiliani who starts off like in the mob, and this part is like sort of told in flashback, and he accidentally like he's like a real fucking bozo who like thinks he's this uh, fucking ladies' man, and he's like perusing around uh, Italy trying to fuck, and like his sister is in a whorehouse. And he kills like her pimp accidentally um, gets sentenced to like uh, an insane asylum because he manages to get like out of that. And then ultimately um, because it's set like on the eve of World War Two and then into World War Two, he goes into the Italian army to sort of like get out of the asylum. And then after that, he like sort of he he deserts. And, like, the main part of the film is set in him, like, being put into a concentration camp uh, with another Italian soldier who, like, becomes a friend of his. And the bulk of the story, like, set in the present there is um, he's trying to fuck this big Fraulein uh, officer in the SS to, like, get out of the concentration camp. Hell yeah. And I think, like... The, like the whole film is like sort of mixed with like really like beautiful and really funny like slapstick of Pasquiani just like fucking up and just being this completely idiotic putz who wants to like he just wants to stay alive and throughout all the film he's just trying to like save his own ass and just like get out of Dodge and what Wurt Mueller's getting at is just like sort of how the cowardly um, can manage and to survive like these terrible like historical events in war um, because they have uh, no ideological underpinnings and it's very easy to stay alive. There's like one pivotal moment in the scene where like he's being sentenced to uh, the asylum for like, I don't know, I think it's like 12 years and he's talking to a socialist uh, who's being sentenced to prison for like 24 years um, by Mussolini. And he's uh, the socialist says to him, he's like, oh, you'll be fine. Like, you don't believe anything. And uh, Pasquiani is just talking about how he's like, oh, like Mussolini seems like this pretty cool fucking guy. I love when he <laughs> speaks. And it's just I think it's a great counterpoint to all the negative stuff I've heard about 
Mussolini. Uh, uh, <laughs> about Jojo Rabbit, where it's like this being like fucking marketed as this like anti hate satire, and it just seems like the Ugh. most like toothless fucking thing. But like Wurt Mueller in Seven Beauties, like takes like such fucking extreme risks, like having like these sort of slapsticky sequences um, where he's so like deprived of food that he can't get an erection um, when he's trying to fuck this woman. Fellas. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, it's like shocking and daring and like has like a legitimate point to it that I feel like past Jojo Rabbit, just go see Seven Beauties if you want something compelling said because it does like, I don't know, it doesn't undercut how fucking evil the Nazis are and it also like implicates people who like just stood by um, and didn't do anything and uh, great flick now none of us have seen Jojo Rabbit but I'm, I'm gonna do a little survey here yeah is Jojo Rabbit a good movie no, it's not a good is, movie. Is Jojo Rabbit a good movie? <laughs> no, it's not a good movie. And that's this week's edition of The Sixth Sense. <laughs> uh, jo- all right, two two things. All right, first, Jack Off, Jack Off Rabbit, Jojo Rabbit. Oh, yeah, J.O. Rabbit, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, second off, all right, anti-hate satire, one of the worst phrases I've ever heard. Uh, but yeah. um, Hate satire is yeah. what it would be if you're yeah. satirizing hatred. Yeah, I was going to say, what does that mean? Like, oh, we don't hate the Nazis. You yeah, know exactly. what I mean? I don't... He's like, oh, these guys over here, they hate the Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> Me and my Nazi friends were gonna go see it in theaters, and they were like, "Oh, anti-hate." <laughs> what did you see, Eddie? In since we've last been together, I'd like to hear about that, and I think the listener would too. Oh, thank you for reading my prompt. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I watched quite a few. I watched some comfort food this week. You mm-hmm. know, I, I've been feeling a little under the weather, and uh, so I took the best medicine possible. A film by Nancy Myers. Mm. So I checked out The Intern. Um, I didn't check it out from the library. I downloaded a nice uh, 1080 <laughs> copy of it. And let me tell you, this film has the sheen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the cinematography is like the most overly slick thing that like, I don't know, almost distracting at first. Uh, mm. Almost like certain photography that can be distracting at times. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm sorry>. JT <laughs> trying to just like take a picture of yeah. you for some reason. <laughs> got, caught, got caught. You got caught trying to sneak a little. Uh, you a ever uh, try to take pic. a picture of your boy and the flash goes <laughs> off? <laughs> I just we I we want sexy pics for the Twitter. We want good content. Yeah. So visual. We're we're bringing it. Our audio game. The people want visuals. <laughs> yeah. But, I keep getting emails of us trying to like show our body. <laughs> or something like that. I mean, I don't if they, if they want. Our like, first uh, email this week, uh, the subject says, "Great podcast, lose the shirt." <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm done. Continue. Uh, yeah. So the intern was really, really good. Uh, mm-hmm. There's like so much dumb shit that you just have to buy, and that's the sign of a good rom com mm-hmm. is just absolute nonsense that wouldn't yeah. exist in real life. Just to uh, you know, really hit home with the feelings that it's trying to deliver you. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a comforting movie with just so little conflict in it. Uh, You know, for example, Robert De Niro finds out that his boss's, uh, you know, absolute douchebag, stay at home husband, uh, by the way, life goals uh, (laughs) to be durs from workaholics in that movie and just like be married to like a fucking startup millionaire and Mm -hmm. just chill in your Brooklyn house. Yeah. (laughs) But. When he sees that Durs is cheating on uh, Anne Hathaway, he, you know, he faces a dilemma that is done in about 10 minutes. 
uh, you know, he has one scene of being very uncomfortable. He has one and a half scenes of being very uncomfortable in front of Anne Hathaway. And then she breaks him and then the conflict's over and it's back to being a comforting movie. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what the doctor orders. If you're ever feeling, you know, either physically or mentally just like in a kind of groggy down place mm -hmm. uh the intern is highly recommended mm -hmm. this one's for you we got that bad dude it's not an attitude we got that bad now that that's out of the way let's get into the real meat of the episode. Mm -hmm. uh, I know we're going to go long on this one today. We got some emails on the other end, but I don't oh. give a shit, man. If we talk about brats for an hour, we talk about brats for an hour, <laughs> baby. Yeah, this is our Satan's Tango up. We finally go eight hours potting. Eight hours. <laughs> no intermission, though. None of that pussy ass shit. <laughs> you got to go all the way. No, no interruptions. No, don't press pause. When, you're listening, when you listen to our podcast, you know, better not pause it or... God forbid, skip ahead. Or and unlike like some podcasts, I don't mark where the segments are uh, in the audio description because you're not allowed to fast forward this podcast no. to the segments you want to listen to. Exactly. You have to hear every single... There are long bits. <laughs> you know? there, there are payoffs. Do you know how comedy works? True. So we yeah. plant these seeds in the beginning of the episode. It's like when you're doing a plant and you uh, do the dirt and you do the seed. Mm -hmm. and a lot then of dirt. <laughs> the rest of the episode is like doing the water. Yeah, yeah, if you jump straight to brats, you're not going to get any of the Pasolini comparisons that yeah. we do. Yeah, you're just going to plant a tomato seed and then just eat it. Yeah. Without watering it, you know, <laughs> just, just scoop it out of the ground and eat the dirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, do you want to eat dirt or do you want some <laughs> some fresh produce? You know, and honestly, like it, if you like, honestly, some of the best things in this podcast are like just the small details, the grace notes. And, and when you're skipping ahead, you're really missing out on those. Really, the stuff that really sets it over the top makes it special. It's like if you fast forwarded through a John Ford movie, like, oh, mm -hmm. that's the plot point. Now let's fast forward through the grace note. You know. <laughs> So Bratz the Movie 2007 is directed by Sean McNamara. And boy, is it. <laughs> he really puts a lot of effort into yeah. this thing. Um, this is just an insane movie. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really a piece of the culture. Mm -hmm. I almost saw this movie in middle school. I was at the mall the day that it opened. Damn. And I declined an offer. From a girl? A babe? No. Uh, you should have seen me. Your friends from, <laughs> from your male you, friends? Yeah, your male friends. Want to see some girls in the Bratz movie? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe they'll be hot. I don't know. So this movie starts off uh, with a fiery just web chat, you know, just sweeping mm -hmm. through split screen variations, meeting these girls as they do what uh, you would assume is their daily routine of getting together, uh, or not getting together, getting ready together in the morning on cam for school yeah we got sasha we got jade we got yasmin we got chloe i didn't play with dolls because i'm not a fucking baby and i never <laughs> was a fucking baby but i assume those were brats the the, the yeah yeah those were, those were the main the if main I had brats to hasten a guess yeah <laughs> Um, um, it, you know, the one note, it's like, damn, what, what other movies have been adapted from dolls? I guess like what gremlins or some shit like that. I don't know. That's not adapted. <laughs> 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 Fucking, uh, G.I. Joe, I guess. I don't know. Freaking Toy Story. Toy yeah, Story. Oh yeah. G.I. Joe movie. Cobra mm. Commander. Cobra Commander. I Those think are action figures, not dolls. Oh yeah. True. Big distinction. <laughs> Big distinction. <laughs> So you see them get ready in the morning, and then it's their first day of high school yeah. at Prison High School. <laughs> so right away, you realize you're in for some 
absolute nonsensical high school absurdity that you mm-hmm. could read as like symbolism or whatever, or you could read as whose movie is literally for babies. Yeah. And they're just going to throw shit at you because of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's all these signs all over the high school that are like, and they live when you put on the glasses and it says like obey and consume yeah. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's like just signage at the school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe it's a maybe you know we we might say oh this is for babies this is for children you know only girls play with dolls but <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know maybe maybe it's a little bit of both maybe it's just you know maybe it's uh, a symptom of the culture that high schools look this way it's a reflection on uh, actual schools and whatnot. Well, one thing I I liked about the opening of the film is that it's like a fucking breakneck pace. So, yeah, yeah. Like I was like looking Zooming. down to like write like notes. Uh, like the great note here, we're just freshmen. Um, but uh, like I would uh, like peek my head up, and then they would already be on to like so much, and it loses that steam like later in the film. Oh, I for mean, there's sure. like a big Full stop. There's, <laughs> there's like a big jump that happens where I thought like most of it would be them dealing with their like freshman year, but yeah. we just sort of like establish that like they're like. There are a bunch of different cliques in high school. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very it's a very oddly structured movie in the sense that the inciting incident, as it were, is that they, you know, can't quite like hang out together. But that can't be like a because th- it's not like a hard plot point or anything. Mm-hmm. So then it makes a hard plot point out of it and jumps two years later. It is just like okay, they're not friends anymore. Yeah. Two years later, let's go. <laughs> Eighteen minutes into the movie, yeah. and then you get a like Fairly Brothers esque set piece uh, that turns the first act into the second, where one thing leads to another. Man, it's just the most like it's a really good food fight set piece yeah uh let's just say it Uh, i'm not afraid (laughs) no yeah this movie has its merits um oh for sure yeah yeah so it's at the hands of the antagonist of the movie uh is her name meredith Meredith? yeah what fucking 14 year old is named meredith anyway evil ones i guess so so she's like the uh, the Mean Girls type stand-in. Mean Girls mm-hmm. came out what three years before yeah, this? Definitely yeah, definitely influenced by Mean Girls. Uh, yeah. Them- <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen Mean Girls? <laughs> Yo, you seen that shit? They yeah. made jokes about boobs and stuff. So this one, a little more uh, for the kids. Yeah. You know, but there is a little something for mom and dad. John Voight. John Voight. Hey, I got John Voight's LeBaron. <laughs> Boss. <Yeah>. Huh? <laughs> Finally, they make movies for adults. <laughs> they don't really make movies for adults like these anymore. <laughs> but this one, John Voight struggling to run the high school that his daughter attends. John yeah. Voight is the principal, and he's a big dummy, and he's mm-hmm. probably drunk or on drugs yeah. the whole time. Literally, there's no way he's not in an altered state. Like it's he's too lucid. It's fucking John Voight. It he's feels, fucked up. It feels like they rewrote his character to match what he brought to set. <laughs> uh, what he brought to set is unknown, but he is bumbling throughout this movie. He cannot hold it together he can't deliver a fucking line of dialogue <laughs> like there are so many uh, it's the most broken up dialogue i've ever heard from john boy he's just like um yeah um um um, um, um. <laughs> literally like stumbling yeah. i've never seen a performance where someone's literally stumbling like cannot land anything <laughs> except except for the scenes where he's required to dance oh the dancing is that so fucking yeah. good you may not speak to me during school hours well, dear, I mean, uh, everyone knows you're my daughter, and I'm very proud of you. 
I feel like they gave him a sidekick character just to kind of prop him up a exactly. little bit because he has his like not even a vice principal, kind of a security guard that walks yeah. around with him. And there's multiple instances where like he can't even like get it together to shoot the coverage, and the kid is like the kid just redirects to the security guard, and the yeah. security guard's like, "Well, time for me to step in." Jeez, like, yeah, yeah, it's it's great. It's yeah. uh, and there's a lot of good extra work too. Like background mm-hmm. actors and extras are really putting their all into this yeah. movie. It's a deep mise en scène. But yeah, the the four Bratz girls get splintered because they fall into different like cliques. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um, what? Uh, Sasha is the is the cheerleader. Cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chloe is the, is the geek. The no, 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 Chloe's the jock. jock. Yeah, Chloe's soccer. the jock. She plays soccer. Yeah. Which her soccer intro scene is hilarious. Yeah. That was also just after the uh, Will Ferrell kicking and screaming, taking sure. a page from that book. Uh, just like the absolute like nonsense soccer where one person just dribbles <laughs> through 11 defenders and then just like offside passes it to someone else to set them up for a bicycle kick. Yeah. Uh, just the beautiful game. Pretty sick. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sick action sequence. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and then Yasmin, uh, what click? What oh no. She, she her she's whole a thing loner. is that she's, oh, a, she's loner. a loner. Yeah. Journalist. Jade is a, is science and a fashionista. Oh, true. Yeah. yeah. Because Dual the click. brats have a passion for fashion. Mm-hmm. That is the tagline of the brats dolls. I just, I prefer the Homer Simpson binary of jocks and nerds. And that's how I lived my life in high school <laughs> as a, as a strong jock. And yeah, uh, I don't, I don't, they, they like, they say they have like 35 different clicks. Yeah. The uh, disco, the disco, there's a disco click or something. Yeah. Like yeah they They're make, dino. They dino make a ones joke too. out of it, like a list comedy joke. Yeah. And it, they could have gotten me on board with that kind of comedy, yeah. but it's pretty poorly executed. Mm-hmm. There's like the greens and it's just like yeah. uh, environmentalists. Yeah. They're real tree huggers. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's so funny to take the temperature on what environmentalism was to the popular culture in 2007 where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're on the right side of the page paper versus plastic debate is like a line <laughs> of this movie and that's just what very like, south park energy from the oh the- yeah <laughs> owning the climate lives in 2007 energy for sure well i mean i think one of the main or, i mean like there are a lot of detractors in this generally very bad movie but like it's the very 2007 style of diversity where it's like we're going to include like a bunch of different groups, but they're still going to be just stereotypes. Oh, broad yeah. ethnic stereotypes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then the the deaf jock, that's great. Beautiful. Okay. The deaf character. One of the best characters <laughs> ever, like made One in of, fucking cinema. For sure. So this guy, he signs maybe two lines of dialogue in this movie. <laughs> he otherwise talks in lip reads like a person who isn't deaf whatsoever. Does not look at people <laughs> when he's reading their lips. <laughs> there, there's a scene where it's like, uh, you know, Hannah and her sister's style. They're sitting in a circle at a table, and the camera's circling around. And mm-hmm. obviously, it's not in a long take like yeah. in that movie. Uh, but hey, you know, fuck Woody Allen. So, yeah. uh, but this one's this is better. Yeah, that is like <laughs> it's the is the pinnacle of that actor just messing up. Like it's just he's just like looking at the wrong person, and like just someone will start talking, and his head just zips to them as yeah. if he hears them. Well, maybe the director went, you know, Woody Allen, whatever works. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. hey, it works. Oh, why don't you watch where you're going? Are you blind? Hello? No, but I'm deaf. What? I'm deaf. You don't sound deaf. Well, you don't look ignorant, but 
I guess you can't judge a book, right? And yeah, he he has some pretty inspirational scenes where he is just like pounding on a keyboard, and at first you think he's just like pissed off and just like yeah. taking it out on the keyboard but then the uh very cool very urban teacher comes yeah. in <laughs> the band teacher the one of, oh no there there are like it's not that there's one black character in the movie yeah. but the besides sasha and her family and it's the DJ. pretty stereotypical yeah. so like, oh i yeah. mean the stereotypes are off the charts like, yeah. like Yas- seinfeld level yasmin's mom and her are like singing, singing la, la cucaracha, cucaracha. <laughs> also, also they're they're an orange face like that yeah it's like those those are it's, white a, it's a white woman oh. and a jewish woman playing like <laughs> yeah a latino household like and it's you don't buy it for like a second but hey this is for the kids man maybe they don't have a less they have a less judgeful eye <laughs> <laughs> kids just need broad stereotypes yeah. because they can't understand nuance they gotta yeah start them early (laughs) this is a nuanced ass movie though like when uh john voight sees a problem and he takes out his how to run a prison for dummies book (laughs) yeah very poignant commentary there by the director i wonder if sean mcnamara or marinara whatever his last name is uh, (laughs) marinara yeah yeah. that's his name now (laughs) uh john marinara uh whoever directed this um I wonder if he, like he just read 1984 or something like that. Like that's like just like make it 20 years later and fucked up. Yeah, yeah it's like it. It really that's such a strong element of the like is like hyper surveillance and like cameras oh, yeah. the and cameras stuff are like that. Everywhere, yeah. And like even the to the point gets access to all of them. Yeah, though. no one's watching it except for the evil girl Meredith. Yeah, and uh, I mean even to a plot point where they kind of highlight you know maybe a fear of new technology with the flip phones in this movie, oh, even though yeah. they do embrace MySpace. Like there's a plot point where Yasmin gets caught singing La Cucaracha, sharing a, a sweet tender moment with her mom, yeah. just recorded because you know she's in like face makeup or not makeup, like she's face, doing a, uh, a face, face mask. mask. Yeah, doing a face mask. It's like this is so like the 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 little brother is like records it because he's like this is so <laughs> and he's distracting me with some off mic bits. <laughs> <laughs> Just being lewd about the Brad's girls. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm talking about the mom. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Like, pick up from. Let's just dip. All right. So two hour or two years later, rather, we pick back up. Mm-hmm. The food fight is the thing that gets these people back together. The mm-hmm. evil girl set it off. That's where we left off. That was our mm-hmm. first big digression yeah, chronologically, is to introduce Meredith. So Meredith sees her BF, who fucking hates her, yeah. uh, talking to Chloe, who he is very hot for, who he calls mm-hmm. hot while mm-hmm. watching her soccer tryout. At the beginning of the movie, yeah. basically. And two years later, hey, they look the same, so I guess he still thinks she's hot. Yeah. Uh, and so Meredith sends her dog to uh just like nip at her ankles pretty much and you get a nice like ozu style low level <laughs> yeah i can't even say that it's fucking it's sean baker style uh like florida project level following the dog up the stairs and uh, you know the dog nibbles at her ankle and she drops her tray of spaghetti uh on uh jade yeah on no jade. no yeah is it jade i yeah. thought it was yeah. it is okay. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So she drops it on Jade and Jade fall and like it's this uh, you know slapstick comedy routine where one person basically falls into the other one and there's a skateboard involved mm-hmm. and you know there's all these props and then someone yells food fight and all the clicks are at it the mm-hmm. goths the blingers as they're called <laughs> people who wear bling that's not a racial slur that I just said <laughs> that's what they're called in this movie the disco freaks were going nuts <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so they all get to tension the four girls who started it and this is what binds them back together and that's kind of like the first turning point of the movie in screenwriting terms and from then on they're BFFs again and it's sweet and uh, to get back at them and like try and revert back to the norms of the school because them being BFFs is like subversive because mm-hmm. they're not belonging to a clique they're just belonging yeah. to each other it's pretty much I think it's like in the vein of like similar things like kids movies of the era like the yeah. high school musical style where it's yeah. like no you you can be many things mm-hmm. don't just be one the breakfast club yeah, like, yeah, yeah. of course <laughs> or or is it is it a more complex thing you know a Teorema style uh, catalyst coming into the system well, disrupting it and breaking the structure within the school john void is the terrence stamp character (laughs) (laughs) it's really that's that's what's great about the brats movie it really lets the viewer decide (laughs) so we should get into the class relations though because obviously the kid in this that's such a weird like boneheaded move to make the rich kid like this the daughter of the principal like as if principals are just like the richest people ever (laughs) but i guess it's a private school so maybe that's why but Uh, still come on school principal is not like the most rich person ever like john voight is portrayed in this movie (laughs) but uh everyone in this movie is like extremely privileged except for chloe who still lives in a nice neighborhood and lives in like a house house you know but she's like relatively working class her mom does like a service worker yeah her mom's a service worker and like that's used as like dirt on her you know uh and so uh it's really just like this it's like a billionaire picking on a bunch of bourgeoisie people you Mm. know and it's kind of like Teorema in that sense. <laughs> it's like the you're not going for I don't know. It's it's not like Teorema, but you know. Yeah, but go uh, for it. Just bob bob for some apples. I'm Bob. <laughs> yeah, it like a, I'm Bob, and I'm trying, and I, I, got, I got nothing. <laughs> uh, there's really nothing that the Brad's movie is saying about class at all because it's just like you can be nice to your poor friends and give them mm-hmm. a scholarship sometimes. Yeah, it's really If there's a scholarship to give to them, yeah. give it to them. It's a, it's, it's very, co- it's like a book smart level kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Except book smart is not about class at all. No, yeah. It's probably the worst element. At least, at least this has like it, uh, rep- like it, even if it's very poorly, it still has class relations with Oh that. yeah, at least it's acknowledging it. Yeah, it's class yeah. conscious. Yeah. And like class consciousness doesn't mean class warfare. Like obviously yeah. I'm looking for, like, and that's, you know. We're looking for warfare. It's contradictory in terms of what I don't like about Parasite, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, I'll just say it, not a fan. <laughs> uh, but it's like a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a class movie that's not anti-capitalist, which is kind of my problem with it. But to be a class conscious movie in general, to have that as the backdrop of the movie, you don't need to be explicitly anti-capitalist, you know, mm-hmm. something like Nicole Hall of Center's friends with money. That's like pretty at the forefront and it's not explicitly an anti-capitalist film. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. Nicole Hall of Center is a leftist, yeah. uh, but like it still is enough kind of, you know, and uh, this movie it's there and you could read into it what you want. Yeah, I mean it's it's maybe not enough, but <laughs> definitely it's definitely not. <laughs> well, hey, also for like a fucking P 
PG rated movie for eight to twelve year olds. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe we're looking for things in places that they might not. Be. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> some rich girls stopped bullying their poor friends because yeah. of the Bratz movie. Maybe, maybe maybe they gave him one of the gift cards they got for Christmas. That's true. <laughs> uh, so anyway, to get back at the girls, uh, Meredith decides to have another Sweet Sixteen. She already had one. She's going to have another one. Mm-hmm. And this brings That's in the MTV promo. It is kind of a funny conceit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and MTV shoots a My Super Sweet Sixteen. Did you guys ever watch that show? No, actually. no. I don't think I ever. It was like cared disgusting. I could not watch it. Yeah. And I got why people would. I think if I looked back on it now, I'd actually like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from a very detached point of, course, of view. Yeah. But those MTV shows back then when I was like 12 would absolutely drive me crazy because I was so, I wasn't broken yet. You know, yeah. I was so sincere. <laughs> and I was like, what are these kids doing? Why do they have such crazy parties? <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely remember being kind of, yeah, like averse to that yeah. around that age. Yeah. So she rolls through on an elephant love guru style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I thought. Yeah. It's speaking of past projects of the podcast, uh, in terms of MTV, basically MTV movies, even though this isn't yeah. actually an MTV production, uh, it's no Monster Island. True, or, nor yeah. Clock Stoppers. Nor Clock Stoppers. Yeah. In clock terms stoppers, of like yeah. kids' movies, yeah, yeah. it's no Clock it's Stoppers. It's no elephant. It doesn't. <laughs> you know, it definitely does not have the like. Uh, unnecessary but very welcomed formal craziness of clock stoppers mm. it is crazy on a formal level is, but not in yeah. a good way it's just <laughs> I mean, like it slows too much like it i like that that crazy manic energy and i mm. like got on board with that mm-hmm. um but then it just like fucking like once it does the two-year time jump it just slows down so much yeah, and then yeah. like i thought that the climax would be at the sweet 16 or like that's like that i mean if they hadn't like set yeah. up the talent show as like the finale, but because it they essentially like replay the same like beats twice, where it's like Meredith has like a very good like bitchy song yeah. about like her. I it's, I believe it's called Fabulous. Yeah. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Um, but then there's like a moment where uh, Yasmin like gets to like sing there, like they bring her up on stage. And I don't think we need to go plot point by plot point too in detail here. So, no. you know, the Sweet 16, guess what? One of the characters gets embarrassed. The aforementioned footage of her singing La Cucaracha with her mother is shown in front of all the kids. And instead of saying, oh, that's like a sweet moment you had with your mom, everyone yeah. says that it's stupid. Yeah. But then the cool teacher, who's also the DJ, mm-hmm. turns it around and yeah. starts spinning La Cucaracha and scratching, yeah. baby. Also, before we move ahead, maybe forget about this. We can talk about the other turntablism scene. I was going to say. This This is is another thing that it shares with Clockstoppers. Is a a mid-2000s kids movie obsessed with turntablism. And what a scene it is. (laughs) (laughs) It is a miracle. Yeah, it's... It feels like a like a gift from God watching it, and and so like we we started talking about it too when true. we introduced the character of the music teacher at the mm-hmm. school who's yeah, also a DJ. Yeah. Uh, so the deaf character is pounding on the piano to no avail, and he has a conversation where again he's not looking at the mouth of the mm-hmm. teacher who's talking to him, yeah. uh, but apparently reading his lips. And he's saying, you know, you can just put your hand on the piano and feel the vibes, man. Yeah. And uh, and he does it, and he transforms into a vibe machine. His vibe receptors are just off top. <laughs> so then he's doing it with scratching, and he is yeah. just like 
the band room just has turntables in it. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why, but it does. And uh, very obviously very realistic portrayal of scratching. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like feeling it out by holding his hand against the speakers while he's doing it. Yeah. And uh, he later does this when he listens to uh, Yasmin sing. He's yeah. just like listening <laughs> through holding onto the speaker. And he says, I didn't hear you. I, I felt your voice. Yeah. And it's incredible. It's incredible. And like I, one one little uh, grace note of that scene with the like a, when the turntablism is first introduced, the deaf character is like, you're crazy with like Like, what are you doing? Like, he is just unaware of it. And so he learns about scratching and hip hop in general by holding his hand up to mm-hmm. speak and becomes yeah. a master with at it oh. within a, within minutes. He's he's a savant. Yeah, he is like literally DJ Shadow in yeah. two seconds. <laughs> So he then joins up with them as, uh, you know, the band gets back together once more after another embarrassment to do the talent show. And he joins the band this time and he's going to be their backing DJ, which like scratching it really the the logistics of the backing track and the music and everything for their performance make absolutely no sense. Mm -hmm. And it's supposedly the song that Yasmin's been working on, but it's just like a dance number that they're all singing together. Yeah. And it's really soft too. Did you Mm -hmm. notice that the song just comes through really soft? I was like waiting for the drop. Yeah, I was waiting. Yeah. I was like, damn, this is, this is going to go hard when it drops. But then like it, you know, kind of when it does, it's not even, it's not exactly that satisfying, but they they tr- they do try to make up of that with a lot of theatrics in yeah. the background. A lot of I think a choir comes in at one point, and yeah, a lot of the clicks come on oh, to yeah, the stage yeah. together. But we should say that before that, you have the true emotional climax in the movie. Uh, so Yasmin wants to pull out because Meredith uh, said that if you do the talent show, I'm going to tell everyone that your mom. Is freaking working class. <laughs> uh, no, no, don't. And uh, so she does, and everyone's like, "Okay." <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, and you stole my dolly." And her sister's like, "No, I stole your dolly." Uh, the sister, so annoying. When they yeah. try to do the thing in kids' movies where like the youngest kid talks like an adult and yeah. like is like, "Oh, a whippersnapper," you know, yeah, uh, uh, wisecracker, silver tongued. Yasmin's I hate uh, it. Yasmin's brother though. Oh yeah, fucking pimp. <laughs> yeah. And he is a pimp too. Yeah. <laughs> he is so fucking cool. Yeah. Like obsessed with his hair, yeah. leather jackets everywhere. Hitting Just... on the six year old girl constantly. <laughs> <laughs> As like a like a fourteen year old. Yeah, trying to get whatever <laughs> pussy possible. <laughs> It's such a recording his his uh, mom his mom and his sister in precarious like <laughs> somewhat you know his character yeah. is the most demented creation ever. There's no <laughs> motivation whatsoever. Snaps the fucking video and gives it to the blackmailing bitch Meredith. <laughs> Look, I can say it. She's an adult now. She's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, with the, the, I mean, some of the things she did within the movie are real. I mean, I mean, truly, true, <laughs> truly, John truly daughter and not pay him respect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, yeah, no. All right. That's one thing I want to, the, the way fathers are depicted in this movie, I have a huge problem with it. <laughs> yeah, me too. You know, they're treated as goofs. <laughs> <laughs> so, you can't, you can't talk to your dad that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so when they like pull out initially when she says i'm not gonna do it and you guys suck and you can't even ask me why i'm not gonna do the competition anymore she literally pulls out of the competition for two minutes i had to go back and yeah. time it it's a two minute 
like uh in screenwriting terms uh you know the the low point for the character mm-hmm. the uh is it dark night of the soul yeah the dark <laughs> night of the soul uh the dark night of the soul in this movie is like barely a hundred seconds long yeah <laughs> she's just like yeah we actually hate each other now but um you know what actually i don't care tell everyone that my mom has worked as a maid before uh so then they do their big performance and the song sounds like shit but the cameras are just flying all over the place mm-hmm. uh, meredith's songs are better both yeah, uh, like yeah. both times they I have prefer attitude those. yeah they have i more love of an auteur's stamp definitely on yeah more bratty yeah i was gonna say more gratitude than you know the some song gratitude yeah, yeah the gratitude that they claim to have but you know we still love them yeah anyway. these brats actually kind of nice girls <laughs> <laughs> what you know the what? fuck <laughs> yeah i kind of wanted it to be more like the dolls where they had more of like an attitude maybe more of like a not as nice and you know they sass it a little yeah bit. i want more sass but yeah, yeah and, you know i guess that's when you get an adaptation like this you know not everyone's gonna be satisfied well the thing is like a big thing you would hear about these brass dolls is parents that were concerned. You know, I don't want my kids having these attitudes. Yeah. So I don't want my kids having these attitudes and looking like sluts. Yeah, exactly. That's so, <laughs> basically where it was. Yeah, here. exactly. Yeah. But uh, when you're making a film for all four quadrants, you know, you got to mm-hmm. put something in there for mom and dad. And I think that's the good attitudes that these kids have. True, yeah. Any, I would... <laughs> I'd be proud to to have uh, raised any of these children. Yeah, I think when I have a daughter, you know, I'll just pop, I'll pop brats in. And yeah, be like, yeah. Do you like these little girls, please? So during the performance, also it cuts to John Voight and his, uh, I don't know, fucking sponsor, like the guy propping him up, making sure he doesn't pass out. Uh, they're just dancing along throughout, and yeah. it cuts to them like four times during Jesus, the song. Yeah. It's beautiful. Though. Yeah. John Voight just dancing his ass off like he's in a John Ford movie. I know. <laughs> he really, that's that's really his best, like his most acting he does in the movie. <laughs> by right, far. Right, by yeah. far. Uh, and that's the end of the movie. It's a, a dumb movie, and it has more to it than most bad movies do. But you mm-hmm. know what? I can't even go above like average. It's a two bulleter for me. Damn. I mean, I, I've seen this. This is the third time viewing it. I definitely have some love for this movie, and like, I I think every you time. Know what? I'm sorry, it's a two and a half. But <laughs> I had so much fun talking about it. I have yeah. to bump it up to uh, at least like it's not bad. It's not yeah, bad. It's you, two and a yeah, half bullets. If you if you really think about it, you 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 get, you get to enjoy it a little bit more. But uh, I definitely <laughs> it's a thinking man's it's film. A, <laughs> as Pasolini inspires thought and debate, maybe Sean Mac John Mac- Marinara John Marinara with his upcoming Ronald Reagan biopic that he has really? in the works. Yes, oh my yes. God! So John yeah. Marinara has made a lot of films, and most of them are kids' movies, yeah. and a lot of them feature John Voight. So, so I think we need to do an auteur series on him yeah. at some point. And you know, Voight's red pilled. So. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I I think when I when I remember this movie, I do remember kind of more the beginning and like the fast pace of it, and I kind of kind of think like, oh, the rest of the movie is going to be like that, and it's not. But it's still, I don't know, I'm, I'm still entertained by it. It's definitely, I definitely recommend watching it with someone. We all watched it alone. <laughs> <laughs> Just three guys in their 20s watching the Bratz movies yeah. separately on their own. Yeah, it's like, because um, I, I still had a good time regardless, but I'm like, definitely would improve in a group setting, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, hey, but, you want to watch it right now? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's shut up this, yeah. let's all right, yeah. this fucking yeah. bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Click. Um, but no, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, two and a half bullets. It's not. I can't say it's good necessarily, but it has certain certain qualities to it. You know, I mean, it's you know, it's kind of good. Uh, yeah, this is uh, another extended clip. Six cents. Oh my I, god! I'm giving it a two and a half bullet uh, as well. I like. 
it is like definitely bad but like bad they don't make them like this anymore <laughs> like i think uh that's it that's exactly it cheers the, the kids movies the kids movies nowadays they don't have like the willingness to be this fucking stupid. Yeah. And I think there's like a charm in like going that dumb and being that goofy and absurd that's like, yeah, like I'll bite. Yeah, it's not mm. fucking hectoring fucking Pixar liberal nonsense. That's yeah. just like, oh my God. <laughs> we hate liberal BS yeah. in this. No liberal BS, no... John brain- White, come on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no brainwashing to your children, you know? Maybe as, maybe the Bratz dolls did, so that's kind of an improvement on that. Uh, so, you know what? I feel like this episode's back to roots for us. We haven't had a pod where all three of us are in the same room and there's no guest in like three weeks. Mm-hmm. And we haven't done, you know, a shitty 2000s movie that we actually like yeah, yeah. in a while paired with an art house. It's, it feels like the first five episodes. It's that's good. So true. I like it. Yeah, it's Extended great. clip. Back to basics. Back to basics. Hey, Amen. Yeah, that's, I think we got to watch more bad movies. Yeah. We, at least <laughs> more 2000s youth movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love my <laughs> Um, okay, so with that being said, let's get to everyone's favorite segment, the emails, baby. And oh boy, are we going long on this one. But you know what? Uh, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah, who, gi- who gives a shit? They want it, dude. They, w- they want that long pod. <laughs> it's Halloween, baby. We gotta go scary. <laughs> scary long. All night horror <laughs> Can you imagine going to one of those things where it's like eight movies in a row and True. it's just like, come in your costume. Yeah. Oh, it's fuck like people you. in costumes and like people with like wearing horror t-shirts. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. people wearing <laughs> horror t-shirts, <laughs> yeah. pussies and that's, horror t-shirts. That's that's my Halloween costume now. Is like fat guy who wears horror t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 one of those guys for Halloween. <laughs> Def- definitely a thing too. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> if you've been to a repertory theater <laughs> watch out for the fat guys <laughs> even even at not horror movies <laughs> yeah oh no for sure yeah, yeah. yeah. just anywhere in public <laughs> well i opened it up a little because we were so anti-horror this month uh general halloween questions are allowed and so our first one comes from Valerie, who, friend of the pod, written in a few times, what's up? A few hours ago, as I was getting back from class on this rainy Cleveland day, and the winds were over 30 miles an hour and turned my umbrella inside out like something in a sitcom, to paraphrase the wonderful Matt Farley film, don't let the Great Lakes weather get you. Also, all while this was happening, I can't even read. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> I, I like, no, I like she uh, is setting the scene here. No, I know it's great. I wish I could read it better because I'm like my eyes are bad mm-hmm. and I have to zoom in. Um, all while this was happening, I was in an all black outfit and probably looked to onlookers like a very method Morticia Adams cosplayer. <laughs> Happy Halloween, fellas, Valerie. Well, I'm sorry you had to deal with the weather. That does sound like a good scene, though. You know. Mm-hmm. Wish yeah. someone were there to capture it. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Halloween. Like all of life's miseries. I wish someone were there to capture yeah. it. It'd be a good moment. Uh, next up comes from Logan Kenny, and the subject is also Halloween. Hello, lads. It's Oh, and that's because he's from Scott. He says lads. <laughs> you say See, we don't I say do that it, here. Do it all next they, do, they, they say that do they, do they really say that over there? No. For sure, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that lad's totally mental. <laughs> 
Wait, that's not like a joke. That's actually how they. No, I'm just. Oh, we should do a crossover up with them where they yeah. speak in American accents. <laughs> oh man! All right, so uh, hello, lads. It's Logan from the other notable SoundCloud podcast about movies and bros, Chase and Statham. Wanted to ask you all the most important question. What is the defining Jason Statham performance in your eyes? The one with the most iconic look uh. and presence of the Stath. It's the pr- it's the question that everyone, two people, want to know the answer to. Also wanted to know your stances on Bad Boys for Life and what films you'd want to see in 120 FPS. Happy Damn. Halloween, brothers. We Godspeed. So we got a three-parter here. And Godspeed to the Jason Statham podcast. Yeah. Uh, podcasts yeah i said that s but it's it's a very good podcast yeah i'm blessing up i'm doing the sign of the cross yeah (laughs) Yeah. um listen to it it's good i haven't seen like any of those fucking movies but it's a really fun listen Mm -hmm. uh but i have seen a few stathams Mm -hmm. and i will say it's crank to high voltage right oh yeah definitely i was gonna say crank or crank two i mean it's those movies are just i he's a little saggier in crank too if you will i don't know if saggy is the right word but But like with the overall arc of his career i think that lines up right yeah yeah it's i'm not a scholar but he's a little sour in that one a little more it's a little sour it's like you know for the halloween fans out there it's like receiving a nice little sour candy in your uh (laughs) trick-or-treat bucket (laughs) bucket (laughs) trick-or-treat pocket bucket bucket and And people are out at halloween parties right now and i actually watched this movie at a party Mm -hmm. it was in october like because i'm Mm -hmm. dating it by frankly who Mm -hmm. i was dating at the time and like Mm -hmm. i was watching crank 2 and uh my uh significant other of the time was let's just say not having fun (laughs) but uh you know what are you gonna do you're at a party and crank twos on the tv you're not leaving the tv right yeah no i mean one of my first uh experiences doing uh mushrooms everyone like i I put on crank two afterwards for a group of people and uh there's a couple people who really like a couple people who are not <laughs> yeah. not not big fans whatsoever. Not big on the sex scenes? On the sex scenes. Well, I mean, everyone loves those. Those are graphic. Yeah, those are graphic. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And um all right, but like all right, I feel like crank in the in the crowds we roll with, that that feels like the obvious <laughs> answer, right? So like I got to give love to the transporter, which does oh, yeah. which does have kind of a the a, a lovable portrait of uh statham's gruffness which i think is kind of the appeal to him and um those that's a that's a good movie i need to watch the sequels i bet they're i bet they're serviceable i bet i'd have a good time um yeah i'm not much of a statham head i've i feel like i've mostly seen like uh well uh, homefront is one uh expendables two not Mm -hmm. particularly great um but and then uh like uh, Snatch and Lockstock, which like I like thought they were all right. Like I'm not crazy about Guy Ritchie, but yeah, I did. However, see like the first like probably 40 minutes of Crank. Uh, one time, my roommates, the bros, put it on, and I really loved it. But I was too sleepy to to make it through the whole thing. <laughs> so I'm gonna say the first 40 minutes of Crank. I think the are... boys got to crank one out sometime. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll crank it. it with the boys. Yeah, yeah. the Neville Dean and Taylor, like I I do enjoy all of their movies. They're they're I, really great. I, I mean, the ones that they've made together. Yeah, we need to do a dive into them on the pod because I've only seen mm-hmm. uh, Crank Two High Voltage. I think. Yeah, uh, uh, you haven't so... seen the first Crank. Oh, I've seen the first oh, Crank okay. as well, but like. 
That one I think I've maybe not seen in full. I watched mm-hmm. on TV maybe, yeah. uh, which not the way to watch it. One of my favorite endings of all time is the first crank. Uh-huh. All right. Uh-huh. I don't remember the ending, so I don't think I watched all of it. Yeah, I don't. I won't spoil it yeah. for you. Uh, did they do that movie Mom and Dad together or was it just one of that them? That was Neville Dean or Taylor. No, that was Taylor. A couple of the people I follow on Letterboxd say that was a, uh, a hidden gem. I, recent years all right if you want to just to one up those people even more hidden gem the vatican tapes by uh, uh i think it's mark nevildeen mm-hmm. made that one pretty good like horror movie it kind of it kind of looks very similar to a lot of like possession exorcism type movies that are cranked out there's at least like four of those a year with like a yeah. nice gray color tone and they're all like fucking boring as shit <laughs> but like this one has you know the eccentricities of someone who directed crank nice. making that movie so now I haven't seen either of the Bad Boys movies. This is like a huge blind spot for me. So me Bad Boys for me Life. Really? Holy yeah. shit. I We're think we fake. have to just We're do Bad Boys. boys. Like, yeah. Because I, I almost pressed play on Bad Boys 2 last night. It's Damn. so funny that Logan would write this. I almost watched it because I've heard. Chakras aligned. It's one of those films that the people I follow on Letterboxd, it has like the inverse of the bell curve uh, of the mm-hmm. ratings. You know, a lot of people have it at five. A lot of people have it at half or one star. Not that many people in the middle. Always, always worth watching those movies. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, even if I don't like them, they're always worth a shot. I don't know. I usually end up liking those movies. Yeah, I'm like, usually yeah. on the right side of history. Yeah, I'm always, uh, I'm always right. Uh, I'm also just nice. Uh, but so, <laughs> I'm hey. A, I'm anti-hate. If I like Bad Boys, then I'll be happy for Bad Boys for Life. Although that's not directed by Michael Bay. Oh, then... Mm. It's directed by, I think, newcomers. These, okay. these new, new guys. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. The trailer seemed entertaining, though. Oh. Kind of not. Actually, no. It kind of seemed corny. Now, the last part of Logan's question is very interesting. What films you'd want to see in 120 FPS? We were all big Gemini heads yeah. seeing yeah. that. And I think I'd want to see, and this is kind of contradictory, but I'd want to see some of the really sleazy exploitation action movies Ooh. in 120 and just like you know redone even if they were like shot by shot remade mm-hmm. with the cinematographer from yeah. gemini man or whatever like something like death wish 3 in 120 fps Damn. might be the best movie ever <laughs> <laughs> just like watching the guy fumble with the machine gun that scene where the guy uh so there's a machine gun introduced in the beginning uh charles bronson's mm-hmm. friend has it in his like lo- in his closet kind of and then at the end, he brings it out at the climax and puts it on his fucking patio. Yeah. And they all like all these guys run away in the distance. And it's just like beautiful shot of them running away. And it's like even in the shitty standard def rip, you could really see it. But in 120, watching them all run away and then him like clanking around with the machine mm. gun. And then one of the guys yell, you know, it's not working. Kill the motherfucker. <laughs> and like all charging back at him. That scene in 120 FPS would be literally the peak of cinema. Yeah. Honestly, all right. This kind of a piggyback answer, but of course, I feel like the style of crank could really lend itself heavy to 120 FPS. Oh like, my God. Yeah. yeah. Like I feel like that'd be very enjoyable. Even Gamer, the their, uh, their Ready Player One movie 10 years before it re- got released. Future episode Gamer Existence. Ooh. Ooh. I thought about that while watching Existence Fuck. a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would lose my shit. Um also I don't I remember not liking Existence when I first watched it oh, and I know I'm in the movie. minority so it's like yeah. I need oh, to Existence I, but, I, I but uh, yeah, I'm probably wrong. Um <laughs> <laughs> Also, all right, just to be creative, a little creative pick. Uh who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? 
Oh, okay. In, in 120 right. FPS. You know what? Yeah. I feel like it would add to the manic quality of the film and probably strike it home, maybe even a little bit more than it already did. I haven't seen that film, but to go with the drama, like one of the things we said when we were talking about Gemini Man a couple weeks ago is in these dialogue scenes where maybe the dialogue's not so interesting, the facial mm-hmm. expressions come through so hard. Yeah. And so to do a drama from like a filmmaker that's really close up heavy, I mean, hey, fucking Passion of Joan of Arc in 120 FPS, <laughs> those close ups on her the whole time, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Or someone like PTA who's like yeah. constantly dollying in on characters being extremely mm-hmm. expressive. Something like, um, I don't know, Boogie Nights in 120 FPS, The Uncensored if you will <laughs> <laughs> also i've watched i watched uh i think this like mid-tier 2004 thriller with ethan hawk angelina jolie i forgot the fucking name to it but i i watched it at like an airbnb tv where the it, it wasn't adjusted so i was watching it in 60 frames per second oh so motion smoothing on motion smoothing nice. on so uh i'm already kind of i'm already kind of there i'm already experimenting with this type of shit already also, one more that I want to show just because you brought something that actually kind of resembles it with the crank comparison. And I will say that um, Paul Schrader's film Dark, uh, the dying of the light director's cut, which he retitled Dark, uh, which is like 70 minutes long or something like that. The James Healy edition. And uh, yeah, right. Uh, I remember J- James Healy does have the most popular review of Dark on Letterboxd because it's him saying that he has a link for download or whatever. <laughs> like, fuck that guy. Hit, hey, hit him up if you want to see a Dark Uncut. <laughs> <laughs> or hit me up and I'll fucking send Ooh. you a mega link or whatever. Dark is incredible and uh, it's like not a good film still. Like, Dying of the Light is a piece of shit and so Paul Schrader making like an avant-garde recut of it makes it a very good movie, uh, but not a great one still. You know, yeah. it's like that 10 out of 10 energy applied to a half star film. And wow. uh, not that Dying of the Light would be that bad in its original cut, but it looks pretty bad from the scenes that I've watched. Mm-hmm. But I think Dark, the manic energy of that, and especially with the editing I don't know, in 120, it would feel like you're literally soaring through the frame when Schrader does those digital zooms, and uh, I'd love to see it. Um, I don't know. I, it's a hard question for me because I feel like a lot of like gut reactions I have are like things that are like masterpieces, and mm-hmm. I feel like I wouldn't want to fuck that up. But to just lob a general director, I would like to see work with it is Guy Madden. I Ooh. think like his like manic energy and just like already the insanely like fast paced nature of like some of his films. Maybe not something like Brand Upon the Brain, but like he has some more straightforward like narrative stuff, like saddest music in the world that I think would be really cool. And he's on the like he's one of those experimental fellas. And you put some tech in his hands, I'd love to see what he'd do with it. And uh, one more for you, Jean-Luc Godard. Come on. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. The dude, yeah. like, basically did 3D better than anyone, and yeah. he could probably do 120 FPS better than everyone. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is kind of meant for genre filmmaking, I feel like, but he mm-hmm. would do some crazy shit with it yeah. for a non-genre film. Also, kind of tangential point, not even related to this, um, The Lighthouse is kind of like a not-as-good brand upon the brand. Damn. Probably. Damn. Very similar. I, yeah. I kind of like The Lighthouse, too, but, like, still. Yeah. It's fun. It, you know, it yeah. works. Yeah. Defoe, you like him. Good actor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that just about wraps up this week's extended <laughs> clip. No Horror October is finally over. Let's. I think we should talk some horror now. We finally. might have to do it next week. We yeah. might have to do some yeah. horror. Yeah. Um, we're going to have a fun guest next month. Next month's going to be good. And mm-hmm. uh, we have a treat at the end of the month that will carry into December. And yeah. I'm just going to tease that. Yeah. 
I'm not going to say anything else. We might be doing a little mini series. Mini series. That's all I'm going to say. I know this is a movie. It might podcast. be based on a certain actor. <laughs> yeah. He might have a new release coming out in December. Some That's all I'm going to say. We might be doing this for clicks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Give me those clicks, baby. Give me that sweet Patreon money. <laughs> Let's just fast forward to yeah. five years from now when we have 46 patrons for $200. Yeah, DM me for my Venmo. You can start it right now, please. Yeah, I don't have a job now, and I've been too sick to even do online work this week, so... Um, I'm I'm going broke, and I'm planning on taking a vacation over the <laughs> holidays. So hopefully, I won't be in debt before that. Donate uh, all uh, donations to Extended Clip. <laughs> hey, I already bought the plane tickets, so you know, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, bye. Bye. Bye.